was a very powerful worship this morning. Thank you to the dance team and the worship team. That was really special. Um, <clears throat> this morning, I'm going to make you work a little bit, maybe. <laughs> Actually, Seema anticipated what I wanted to say, so that's pretty cool. And uh, <coughs> I had this nightmare all night because <laughs> I have a new Bible. And I had this, I had the nightmare that the pages would stick together and wouldn't be able to turn them. <laughs> so I worked hard on it <laughs> to do that. But <coughs> before I begin, I'd like to publicly thank <coughs> some people. Uh, especially the elders and Dave, who really got the ball kind of rolling. And Gail Kacknish is the one who has actually organized a group of people to come and get us and bring us into church every Sunday. And so I'd like to say <coughs> Jeff Gallus is one of them. Eric and Elena Johnson, who's one of them. Gail is one of them, and the Mosiers. They are my team to get me here every month, so I want to uh, <coughs> thank them for that. This morning, I'd like to open your Bibles to 1 Samuel, chapter 1. And <coughs> we're going to read from verse 3 to verse 15. Then we're going to read from verse 18 to verse 20. And then we're going to read chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. Year after year, this man went <coughs> uh, up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hupni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests to the Lord, of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Penina, and her, all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. <clears throat> and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year, whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord. Her revival <coughs> provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband, Kaina, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you disheartened? <coughs> don't... <coughs> Uh, don't I m mean more to you than ten sons? Once they, were, they had finished <coughs> eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up, and Eli the priest was sitting <coughs> on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's <coughs> house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly, and she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will 
Only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son and I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying <coughs> to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips <coughs> were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to <coughs> stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah <coughs> replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have been, <coughs> I have not been uh, drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. And then, oh, did it. Verse 18, <coughs> she said, <coughs> may, you, uh, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she <coughs> went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, they arose and, uh, to work and worshiped before the Lord and went back to their home <coughs> in Ramah. The Kaina made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel saying, because I asked the Lord for, for him. Now in chapter two, verses eight to 10, he rises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from <clears throat> the ash heap. He sets them with princes and has made them inherit a throne and honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. <clears throat> On them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that you prevail. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. Most high, <coughs> the most high will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Shall we pray together? <coughs> we thank you, Lord, for this very profound time of worship we've had this morning and we thank you Lord now that we can come before you and open your word and I pray Lord that your spirit would work in our hearts your spirit would speak to our hearts and I pray Lord that <coughs> you would fill my innermost beings with rivers of living water and I pray these livings of rivers of living water would flow out and encouragement and blessing and edification to your people here before me. And I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, that we read this passage about Hannah, <coughs> I'm going to take five steps back. <laughs> we will get to Hannah, but I have some other things that I wanted to share. <coughs> um, <coughs> that I really feel uh, really deeply. 
One of my biggest defects <laughs> is I do feel things so deeply, and I think so deeply. But uh, uh, in these days that I've been thinking, uh, we, re we really are going through a very difficult time right now. Now, I could think back when I first came to Living Word Community back in 1972. If you did not get here by 9.30, you did not get a seat. They actually had folding chairs all the way down the aisles to get more people in there. That was a time, but it's not this time. This time, I'm not suggesting we go back to there, and I'm not suggesting either that the presence of the Lord is any less among us today. We're going through, <coughs> as a country, as a nation, as a church, so many things are happening. And I usually don't give a title to the sermon that I'm going to give, but this time I did. And the title I wanted to give to this word is, After Having Done All You Can, Stand Firm. That's a, a verse from Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul is talking about spiritual warfare. He said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers in high places. However, that does not mean that principalities and powers cannot take on human flesh. We don't wrestle against flesh, we wrestle against the spirit, uh, the <coughs> powers that be. And he tells us all about the armor, put on the armor of God, do all these things, get ready. And then the next to the last thing he says is, and all that you've done, stand. You know, one of the first rules of going to war is when you come back, come back alive. Stand. And Satan tries to take advantage of us in so many ways. And one of the ways, some of the ways, is of course, he tries to deceive us. He accuses us. And one of the things we don't think about very often is. He tries to knock, knock us off our foundation. Now, <clears throat> some generations have to confront some of, some of the very same thing. Many years ago, <laughs> this is funny, many years ago I was preaching in a church and we were talking about, I was talking about young people, young people today. And I made a statement, and the statement was this. I said, young people today gobble their food, they tyrannize their teachers, and they're disrespectful to parents. And I said, is, is that, yeah, that, do you know who said that? Socrates, 400 years before Christ. There are some, every generation, there's some things every generation has to face. 
But in our generation, we are facing something that no other generation has ever faced. And that is, we have an entire generation, probably maybe even this, this is the second, it could be the, even the second generation, an entire generation that has grown up with no knowledge of God at all. No knowledge of God at all. And uh, <clears throat> a few months ago, out, 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 up at the mission, they were, they had a little seminar about proclaiming, we have to proclaim, we have to proclaim the word of God, which is true. I wasn't there, I wasn't able to be there. It's probably a good thing that I wasn't, because I would have rocked the boat <laughs> a little bit. For me, the main thing is not proclamation. That's not the main problem, that's not the main issue. The main issue is understanding the mentality of the people we are proclaiming to, or else we're gonna end up just speaking to ourselves. So these are <coughs> uh, some of the things I really, uh, <coughs> I really do have on my heart. And <coughs> we've been praying quite a lot, Lorraine and I. There's so many things to, to pray about that we could be praying about, so many things even going on in Italy that we know about, to pray about. We've kind of made a commitment to take time to pray, not so much what's going on all over the place, which we do that anyway, but we made a commitment to pray for living word and for you. Because <coughs> we're really desirous to see the Lord move by his spirit and by his power and equip us for what we have before us. That's just a little parenthesis there. Now, <coughs> let's look at Hannah. Um, <coughs> I don't want to do that. This is actually a very beautiful story. This is a very beautiful Hebrew narrative. And, <coughs> oh, wait a minute. I'm ahead of myself. I don't want to look at Hannah yet. Uh, oh, one of the people I really need to thank, super thank, is Carl Dreer. Because he comes and picks me up and takes me into Center City when I have uh, to my doctor visits at the transplant center. And this week, this week, I really made him work hard. I really made him sweat because I wanted to put up here on the screen uh, a list of things. So whoever's back, I can't even see who's back there. Can I put that up? Is it up? Oh. I wonder if we could stand up and read through this list together. This is who we are in Christ. I read done a silly thing. I left my, my list at home so I can't see it. So <laughs> just start reading one. Don't worry about the scripture. Yeah.
Okay. Is that it? Good. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I guess somebody could stamp, print it. Get some, somebody will take care of that. Yeah. <clears throat> After almost 30 years of doing pastoral care and marriage counseling, I've come to the conclusion, oh, first, uh, I did not compile that list. That was compiled by Neil Anderson. Neil Anderson came to Italy, actually at our invitation, at um, Casa de la Vivia's invitation, and I had to, got to meet with him and we clicked uh, immediately. So I had about a weekend, <coughs> spent a lot of time with him, so. Uh, in my counseling, <coughs> at some point, uh, I've come to the conclusion that most counseling surrounds just two issues, really just two issues. One is, we really don't know who we are in Christ. So that's the reason for that list. If you come to me for counseling, at some point you're going to get that list in your hand. I'm going to tell you, go home. Say that out loud every day for a month till it sinks in. The other issue is we believe something that is not true. And usually we believe something that is not true about ourselves. So we dig into these things. So this glorious introduction that Ted gave me before I came up here, it would be great if it were true. <laughs> so, yeah, this is another thing that um, <clears throat> is really on my heart. I mean, there's a lot of healing and a lot of deliverance that has to happen even among us. So, finally, let's get to Hannah. Here <clears throat> we have a very righteous man at Kainah who goes and offers his sacrifice every year at Shiloh, and he brings his whole family with him. He has two wives, Penina, who has lots of sons and daughters, and Hannah, who doesn't have any, because the Lord closed her womb. And Penina made life miserable for Hannah. She really rubbed it in. And Hannah, one of the first things we want to see is the reason for Hannah's sorrow. What is the reason for Hannah's sorrow? The reason for Hannah's sorrow are actually two. One, because she has no children. Now, let me explain something before we start thinking with our modern minds. Back in those days, the best thing you could do was have a lot of children. A woman who had a lot of children was very highly esteemed. She was a heroine, not only of her own family, but the entire community. And there are some reasons why that was important. And I could quickly give you three. One, the more children you had, the better off you were financially. It's kind of the opposite of today. 
back in those days, the more children you had, the more people you would have to work in your fields, and the more people you would have to run your business. So a woman who had a lot of children was a heroine. She was a real savior of the community. And there are other reasons, but I want to push this a little further, this one. Uh, this is not only um, an Old Testament concept. This is also a New Testament concept. And we see this in the parable of the prodigal son. Now, the parable of the prodigal son is not an isolated parable. It's a part of three parables that Jesus shot off one right after the other. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost son. And we always think about the young son who took his inheritance and threw it away. And one day, <coughs> while he's eating with the pigs, he says, hey, my father's servants have more food than I do. I'll go back and ask my father to treat me as a servant. And at least I'll have some food. <laughs> but <coughs> the father is waiting for him. And when he sees the sun coming far off, far off, he does something that most people won't pick this up, but he actually shames himself. Because no, he runs to his son and hugs him and kisses him. No noble person in Israel would ever run. In order to run, you have to lift up your tunic and expose your legs. No noble, it is a shame for a noble person to show his legs in public, but he did. And he came back and he hugged his son and said, son said, treat me as your, father didn't treat him as a servant. He gave him the robe, he gave him the ring. He completely restored him to the family and gave a big festa for him big party. And the elder son comes home from the fields and says, what's going on? And he says, your younger son has come back and your father has completely restored him and given him this big, big party. And he refused to go in. He refused to go in and made his father come out. And that was another shame to the father because the father would never come out. He asked one of the servants to bring the son in. And he refused him. And you know what? That is the exact picture of every one of us. At one time, we were far away from God. We were strangers to the promises of God. We didn't know anything about God. We didn't even think about God. And he comes one day, his spirit works into us, and we receive him, and we are restored into his family. He inherits us as his son, and not only as his son, but as an heir, and not only as an heir, but as an heir of Christ. Can you imagine, I can't even imagine this, that we will be partakers of the inheritance of Christ. I can't even imagine what that is. But that's what God says. 
And one of the reasons why the elder son was so furious, because he was somewhat faithful, he stayed at home, he worked in his father's field, but he was absolutely furious because the youngest son had been completely restored to the family. Therefore, he would still get a portion of the older son's inheritance. And that really ticked him off. So the real prodigal and the story of the prodigal son is the elder son, not the younger. But that is what God has done for us. So we, here we have this woman, Hannah. She is going through such agony and such sorrow and such pain. And she's crying out to the Lord to have a son. That was the main pain that she had. But there was another reason why Hannah was so sorrowful. And that reason we can very easily overlook with a superficial reading of the passage, but it's a very important point. Hannah was so sorrowful because she was living in a polygamous relationship. Now polygamy in the Old Testament is quite common. Even most all the patriarchs had more than one wife and uh, things like that. <clears throat> But there's one common thread, uh, people that want to undermine the Bible, secular people, and I've actually had people in Europe speak to me like this, says, oh, you Christians just choose what you want to believe. You know, the Bible in the Old Testament says polygamy is okay, and you, in the New Testament, you prohibit it. You're just prohibiting something uh, <coughs> that God allowed. And when I hear people talk like that, I say, hmm. They don't even know how to read a, a scripture text. There's one common thread through every case of polygamy in the Bible, and it's this. In a polygamous relationship, everybody is miserable. Everybody is miserable. There is no peace. There's a lot of jockeying going on, a lot of uh, deception <coughs> going on. There is no peace. There cannot be peace in a polygamous, uh, polygamous relationship. And this is one of the things that uh, <coughs> Hannah was suffering. And she cries out to the Lord and <coughs> she's downcast and her husband says, why don't you eat? He gave her a double portion because he loved her. And that's another horror of polygamy, that one wife will be more loved than the other. And she cries out, she cries out to the Lord so that she can have a son and <clears throat> she would not be consoled, she would not be, <clears throat> you know, uh, free from this. And she really poured out her heart and what the Bible actually says about her is, uh, when Eli saw her and she, her mouth was moving and no words were coming out of her, oh, she's drunk. She said, no, this is anguish of the soul. This is pain of the soul. This is not physical pain. This is soul pain. This is something that is really deeply going on inside of her. 
and she wouldn't eat and she wouldn't do anything. So, what does she do? How does she resolve her anguish? Before we see what she does, we have to see what she doesn't do. There are actually two voices speaking to Hannah. One of the, one of the voices speaking to Hannah is Penina, her rival. And what Penina is saying to Hannah is, Hannah, if you want to be happy, have lots of children. Which is a pretty cruel thing to say. It's kind of like saying to a drug addict, just say no. They'd like to with all their heart, but they just don't have the power to do that. And <clears throat> so Hannah pours out her heart to God. The other voice speaking to Hannah was that of Akina, her husband. And what her husband says to her is, Hannah, aren't I better than 10 sons to you? And I guess he really was. And <clears throat> the amazing thing, the astonishing thing about Hannah is she does not respond to either voice. She doesn't respond to Penina because Hannah was not about to live according to the cultural norm. She didn't respond to her husband because she wasn't about to make an idol out of her husband's love for her. I could say something scandalous, but I won't. <laughs> as every woman does <laughs> for the love for the husband. So what does she do? <clears throat> she stands up. Now what does that mean? She stands up. Of course, if she's gonna do something, she's gonna stand up. But in Hebrew, <clears throat> this is kind of like, uh, in an idiomatic expression, it's kind of, kind of like saying she's gonna put her foot down. She's gonna put her foot down and she's gonna act. But she's not gonna grind her teeth and act with her own f forceful power. She's not gonna try to figure this thing out. What she's going to do is she's gonna pray. She's gonna take charge by praying. And that's what prayer actually is. Prayer is taking charge. And I want to point out uh, just three things that we learn from Hannah about prayer. The first one is that the first thing we noticed about Hannah's prayer, that this is a very intensely emotional prayer. She's not just there with her hands folded and praying. I mean, this is something she is really feeling. This is intensely emotional prayer. Now, <laughs> what I'm about to say is I know I am walking on eggshells. But listen and bear with me, listen. When I was a very young Christian, <clears throat> There is a very handy little booklet that came out, and it's actually the one we've used in the men's ministry in these days, the four spiritual laws. 
And the four spiritual laws was put out by Campus Crusade for Christ, and it was a very handy little booklet. A lot of people <coughs> um, used it. A lot of people began to witness. A lot of people began to testify to other people. It was a handy, very little uh, booklet. I don't have problem with the four spiritual laws in themselves, but I do have a big problem. And what it says on the very last page. Uh, and I, you often, I often hear this in churches as well. What it says on the last page is, you just believe and your emotions will eventually catch up to you. And it's pretty common in energy. You just believe your emotion is, well, I would disagree with that because we can believe all we want and we should, but we're still full of emotion. What are emotions? God created us with emotions. There was a certain emotional part of the worship this morning, and that's the way it should be. But what do we do with our emotions? Now, I know we're always taught, <clears throat> you know, don't be ruled by your emotions, don't be dominated by your emotions, and that is true. But what really are our emotions? What do our emotions tell us? Emotions can become difficult and even sinful, but emotions in themselves are not sinful. And so, <clears throat> what do our emotions say to us? What do our emotions actually say to us? Our emotions are actually a little window that gives us a glimpse into how our relationship with God is really going. And that's scary to some people. For example, <clears throat> if we lose something that is really precious to us, or <clears throat> if someone takes something that is very precious to us, what would you feel? I would feel anger. Now, <sighs> What is anger saying to us? What is the emotion of anger saying to us? The emotion of anger is saying to us this. The Lord has provided for others. Will he really provide for me? The Lord has provided for others. Will he really provide for me? This is a question we all have in us at times. The Lord does provide. The Lord has always provided. He provided back in the 70s and he's provided, he's providing in the 2000s and 20s. I'll give you a good example of how the Lord provided for us when we were in Italy. When you go to the mission field, one of the things you don't think about very much is when you get to the mission field, you're gonna to have to change your money into the local currency. And when Italy was under the lira, we had pretty good exchange. But when the euro came in, <clears throat> when the euro first came out, it was more or less equal to the dollar. I think right now at this minute, the dollar is worth more than the euro, a little bit more. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> 
we went through a time when <coughs> we would only get, seven, for, for one dollar, we would only get 74 cents in euros. So that's a big, any amount of money that came to us from America, we'd automatically lose 25%. And <coughs> we were in a very unusual situation for missionaries because the church that we were working with in Italy supported us. Most missionaries go to the mission field, you're not gonna be supported by the church you're ministering to, but we were. That was a real miracle. So they provided for our housing and uh, <coughs> all the electric and stuff. So we were paid directly in uh, euros from them. So actually it covered the difference from what we got. And they were so kind and so wonderful that if I needed a car, the church would buy me a car. And they did on two occasions. So that was <coughs> some of the ways that the Lord provided for us. There is no way we should have remained in Italy with the amount of support we had. It was impossible. And yet, we were there for over 30 years. And the Lord provided. Another emotion <coughs> that's difficult is fear fear. We all suffer from fear. What is fear telling us? What does the emotion of fear say to us? The emotion of fear says to us, the Lord has protected others. Will he really protect me? That's the, th well, that's the way I think anyway. <laughs> Maybe don't think that way. The Lord has protected others. Will he really protect me? And you know what? The Lord protects us. One day when we were in Sardinia, <clears throat> some of the young people came over. They said, hey, Lorenzo, let's go to the beach. I said, okay. I had a, at that time I had a, a Volkswagen bug. So there were four of us in this Volkswagen bug and we're going down the road going towards the beach, and all of a sudden, this car is coming toward us, going about 200 kilometers an hour, I mean, really fast. And at the spur of the moment, I did something kind of strange that you would never do automatically. Instead of hitting the brakes, I hit the accelerator. So instead of him hitting us head on, he hit us on the side. And the car overturned four times, and it ended up with the wheels in the air. Not one of us in that accident was hurt. Not one of us had a scratch on us. So I got out of the car, and I tried to look for this guy who hit us. There's nobody in the road. I said, where'd this guy go? He was going so fast when he hit us, he got airborne flew over a canal, flew over a fence, and ended up in a field. And the neat part about that was I had a verse on the back of my, the back window. And the back window just popped out and was right there in the middle of the street. And when the townspeople heard this great 
crash, they all came running out. And here's this verse right in the middle of the street. And the verse that I had on my car was this. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And here this was right in the middle of the street. And here's these town people looking at this and say, yeah, it's real, it's true, it's true. Because not one of us were hurt. But the Lord does provide. And <clears throat> the last one I want to talk about, last emotion, is love. There are two things every man needs. He needs to be loved and he needs to be known. And that's why Paul says in Corinthians, we know God, but even more, God knows us. What do we do with love? The doubt that I would have in my mind about love is the Lord has loved others. Does he really love me? And we wrestle with that sometimes. And yet he does because he, <clears throat> he died on a cross for us. Not because we were worthy, but because he loved us. He loved us so much, he himself was kicked out of the family so that we could be brought in. He suffered the penalty of pain and sin, the sin of the whole world, <clears throat> so that we could be brought in to God's family. So the first thing we see that Hannah's prayer was an extremely emotionally, emotional intense prayer. The second thing we see about Hannah's prayer is that Hannah's prayer changed the world. Now I remember back in the early days of the charismatic movement, there were a slew of books coming out, you know, prayer changes the world and it does. And it changed the world for Hannah because she had a son and the son that she had was Samuel, one of the key figures in the history of Israel, one of the key leaders in the history of Israel. So in that sense, she really did, her prayer really did um, <clears throat> change the world because um, <clears throat> One of the neat things about Samuel later on, when uh, <clears throat> in Samuel's life, when God called him to, said, go to the house of Jesse uh, and anoint a king for me. Well, what that really says in the Hebrew is, Samuel, go to the house of Jesse, for I see for myself a king in the house of Jesse. Isn't that neat? I see for myself a king in the house of Jesse. So Samuel goes and he comes to the eldest son who is taller than all the others, a big strapping, strong guy. And he said, surely this is the Lord's anointed. And the Lord said to him, no, it's not him. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And he goes through the whole line, seven brothers, and not one of them were chosen by God. So Samuel says to, uh, yeah, Samuel says to, don't you have any other sons? And here the translators have been very gracious to us. This is, most translations would simply say, yes, yeah, there's the youngest. 
David. David was not present because David was the eighth son. And the Hebrew number of completion is seven. So Samuel, so David actually becomes the masculine Cinderella. He's left at home to take care of the chores while everybody goes out after the part, out to the party. And, but he calls, he says, call David, and he brings David in. And he said, yes, this is the, the one the Lord's anointed. But Samuel wasn't quite so kind as we think, uh, because what he actually says is David was not the, uh, the youngest, David was the smallest, the Hebrew said, the smallest. And it goes even further than that. And if English is not your first language, you might not be able to grasp this. But what, uh, what actually, what uh, Jesse actually said, yeah, there's still a small runt. And some translations actually translated that way. But who, the small runt, I guess David in his very young years was pretty runty. Uh, <coughs> but he was the one that was anointed king. And <clears throat> according to Hebrew law, the firstborn of every family got the inheritance. But God did not limit himself to that. Many times God overturned the primogenitura, the, the birthright. He chose Abel instead of Cain. He chose Isaac instead of Ishmael. He chose Jacob instead of Esau. He even chose old and barren Sarah instead of young and fruitful Hagar. He chose Leah, the woman that nobody wanted, instead of gorgeous Rachel to fulfill his promises. And you know what? He's chosen each one of us to fulfill his word for each one of us. And nobody in this place would ever compare ourselves with the patriarchs of Abraham or anybody like that. We're much less than that. But nevertheless, God has chosen us. And we need to walk in the call that God has given to us. And the last thing I want to <clears throat> mention is Hannah's prayer actually changed her. Probably the most important thing. Actually uh, changed her. If the Lord had given her a son when she first asked, she would have made an idol out of that son. Because that's her, that was a desire. She really wanted to have a son. But he waited. And the amazing thing about Hannah and her faith and her relation with God, that after she prayed, she immediately went back home. She was no longer downcast. She ate uh, <clears throat> and all that, not knowing whether God would actually grant her request. That didn't happen too much later. So <sighs> Hannah's prayer actually changed herself. Because why would she want a son? Every woman would want a son because <clears throat> every day the women went down to the market and took their children and the children would play and they talk about their children. And as it is to this day in Italy, they still do that. 
or she would just like the affection of her son and the love and the hugs uh, and all that. But if you notice, when Samuel was born, he said, she said, I will give him to you and a razor will not touch his head. Now, what is that? That's the sign of a Nazarite. One of the two main things was not to shave your head, not to drink alcohol. There were others as well, but she made him a Nazarite. And what that meant was Samuel would actually live in the temple. So she wouldn't see her son maybe once a year. So the, her prayer not only gave her a son, it freed her from desires which were probably not the best desires to have. And that's what prayer is. Prayer has an emotional side to it. Prayer changes the world. And most of all, prayer changes us. So we're in a, in a time when we really need to <clears throat> increase our prayer time together because so many things are happening in the world and we really need to see a breakthrough by the Spirit of God. We have to remember that we are Christians first and Americans second. And I think the Lord is calling the church <clears throat> to a more intense time of intercessory prayer. So <clears throat> let me pray for you. <laughs> Lord, <clears throat> we thank you that it's not what we think of ourselves, but it's what you think of us. And we thank you, Lord, that you have lavishly poured out upon us your love and your grace and your mercy. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to walk in the power of your spirit, to walk with our eyes fixed on you, to walk continually remembering, continually going over who we are in you. Lord, you have created a, an absolutely new creature and that we're part of your family. <clears throat> and I pray, Lord, that you would lead us and guide us in all the things that you have prepared for us so that we may glorify your name in all that we do. And I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um. Oh.